Hello, this is Brad Schwartz, professor and chairman of Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. On behalf of Richard Wolf Medical, the Endourological Society, and the Journal of Endourology, I would like to welcome you to the latest release in our podcast series. Each month, we will be presenting a current events topic of interest to our listeners. In this broadcast, I'm happy to introduce Dr. Tom Polasik, Professor of Urology and Director of the Urologic Oncology Fellowship at Duke University, and also the Director of Surgical Technology at the Duke Prostate and Urological Cancer Center in Durham, North Carolina. Dr. Polasik, uh, Tom, thank you very much and welcome, and um, great to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here today. So today's uh, Topic is the uh, prostate focal therapy, kind of maybe a little bit of where we've been, where we are, and where we're headed. Your role in the focal therapy group uh, is very prominent, and and I think, if I'm not mistaken, you had a role in in founding this uh, society and certainly promoting it and and what it is today. So we we thank you for that, and we recognize your your expertise. Just start off kind of fundamentally, if you could, what is focal therapy? how it's delivered and, and kind of for people who don't know much about it at all, maybe uh, describe what it is and, and what the optimal applications might be. Well, this um, started probably back around the turn of the century. Uh, I have to give credit to um, uh, Guy Valencion and um, others uh, like him, uh, Gary Onik, who initially treated a handful of, of men with partial gland ablation. It's a targeted therapy. We try to identify what's called the index lesion or the most aggressive segment of cancer in the prostate. The definition of index lesion uh, can be based on either the largest tumor or the more aggressive one. And typically those two definitions tend to be the same. But what we do is we try to target that with some form of energy, perhaps in the future, some drug and um, eliminate it and thereby spear the rest of the organ, hopefully spearing some of the important functions uh, that the prostate and associated neurovascular bundles uh, confers for potency and urinary continence as well. So the, um, you mentioned a uh, possibility of injection and, and visualization. Are, are we there yet? Is that, that's a very kind of interesting concept. Um, are you able to inject things now and kind of identify the areas that, that are clearly needed to target, or are we a little ways away from that? Well, you know, conventionally, this started out as a purely ablative modality. We had several different energy forms. Uh, most people started out with cryoablation or high-intensity focused ultrasound. Um, but we've had, you know, combination drug device therapy, such as uh, vascular targeted, targeted photodynamic therapy. We have now gold nanoparticles. These are um, drugs uh, that are delivered, usually activated by a laser. But I think ultimately, uh, it's not about just the device, but it's about, um, you know, the adjuvants that we use. What can we use to bring to the cancer cells to influence them to die uh, as opposed to um, survive some of these uh, therapies. We know that uh, usually in the core of the treatment zone, 
the energy is very potent, whether it's ice or heat, laser, whatever, um, that's going to kill the cancer. But really the issue is on the perimeter, um, the area that undergoes apoptosis. So as you know, with apoptosis, those cells can either survive or they can die. So I think ultimately the way this is going to work is we have to get some agents that we can um, use to influence those cells to die. Now, sometimes we can inject those intravascularly. Uh, other times, you know, it, it, it'd be great if we could take a syringe and inject the lesion uh, with some kind of a substance. But, you know, as you know, the prostate is a very dense organ. So when you try to inject it, um, that fluid doesn't really stay where the needles intended to place it. So there are definitely challenges, but at the same time, this area is very ripe for research. For some of the naysayers out there who, who you know, people in my generation may remember a lot of the cryotherapy and, and certainly in the late 90s, some of the horrific complications that I think were overcome with great technological advances uh, in the early 2000s and moving on to the mid 2000s. How do we teach people that, uh, you know, like, who, who do we incorporate into this, into the, this for treatment options? What, what patients can I bring into my practice who might be good candidates for this? And then how do I adopt this therapy so that I can deliver it fairly well? Or is it still really kind of secluded to academic centers, centers of excellence, research centers, kind of uh, such as yourself? Well, I'll answer the, the second question first. Uh, no, it's, it's um, being offered even in, in practices. Um, you know, we see uh, radiologists offering this. We see urologists. Uh, usually you have to have some type of an imaging device and then some type of a treatment device. So most of this falls under image-guided targeted therapies. So clearly the Research-minded people are, are typically at the academic centers, but there's a lot of practitioners, especially in the larger cities, that are offering this for patient uh, therapy. And um, you know, you've you've heard about the whole phenomenon with HIFU, how they would go to Mexico or offshore to get their treatments. So I think you know patients are really in tune to this. When, whenever you tell them there's a less invasive option that could potentially preserve their urinary and sexual function, they're very interested. Uh, but again, it's up to the physician to choose the right patients. Now, to answer the first question, who are the good patients? Well, we look at patient characteristics, uh, personality characteristics, and tumor characteristics. So this whole therapy has evolved. It used to be done for the low-risk uh, patient. You know, we didn't want to missed the opportunity to cure someone who needed a cure with radical treatments. So we started with the, the low risk. And then at some point we were criticized because, you know, active surveillance became more prominent and people said, well, now you're delivering some kind of a therapy that may worsen their life, uh, quality of life com compared to just a monitoring. So at this time we're, we're focused on the intermediate risk uh, cancers, the Gleason sevens. But from a, a pure physical sense, the, the tumor has to be uh, able to be localized kind of in one area. You can't have you know, tumors all over the prostate. So we need to find an index tumor or tumors, maybe one or two that we can see, identify, and target. 
So those are typically the, the tumor characteristics, intermediate risk, um, imageable and targetable tumors. The patient characteristics, you know, they're usually um, the younger guys who, who want to preserve their genital urinary function or alternatively some of the older guys. They just don't want to go through the radical treatments uh, at the uh, end of their life. So this is appealing to them as well. And finally, the patient's personality is very important. You have to have the mindset that, you know, you're going you're gonna to do this. And if it should recur, uh, you, you may need more treatments. Um, it's just like in the renal space, when we ablate small kidney tumors, about 10 to 15% may need another treatment. So that's, that's part of the, 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 the treatment is understanding that. You know, clearly if you want this gone, then maybe surgery is the best option. Just remove the whole prostate. But I think, you know, like seeing a dermatologist, they don't just take your whole skin off. If you have a lesion, they remove that. And if you grow a new lesion later, then you go back and see that person. They remove it at, at a later time. Uh, great analogy. I, it's, I was going to ask you, uh, you can touch on it. What, what are the percentages or, or what is the some of the data about recurrence? I mean, do, do most patients, if they live long enough, will they need a second, maybe third treatment if they live long enough? And, and what just touch really briefly on some of the statistics on that? Well, this is, this is a very interesting question. So I, I have to first divide it into clinically significant cancer versus any prostate cancer. So um, the chance of recurrence with a clinically significant may be up to 10, 15%. We also know that there are MRI invisible lesions that we can't see that may incur in the same number of 10 to 15%. Um, the chance of this happening or recurring in the ablation zone is low, maybe five to 10%. But again, I think that when we do see recurrences, they tend to be new tumors that weren't appreciated the first time or in the margins, because you know, cancer is a cellular disease. So just because you see a lesion on, on MRI doesn't mean you see the whole thing. And for that reason, if you ablate generously, and some people talk about getting a centimeter margin, then the chance for recurrence is lower. But there's some therapies like laser. And you know, when people use the term, it's, it's, it's right on target, like a laser. They mean that it's, it's a very accurate technology. So again, if you're using something that's very highly accurate, you have to make sure that you get your margins. And so you touched a little bit on the technology and, and a little bit of, of what may be needed. Is this strictly a hospital-based treatment right now or an office-based therapy? And either way, what kind of equipment really is necessary? Maybe even a ballpark um, economic figure of you know, how much technology is truly needed to have some kind of program that's useful? Oh, these are great questions. So. Um... You know, I think if you, if you look at what the patient's looking for, right, the patient wants something that doesn't impede their lifestyle. They don't even want to go in the hospital nowadays. They want something that's outpatient. They want to drive up and, and leave just like, uh, you know, going to the dermatologist and getting a molex sized. Um, they, they really don't want a whole lot of uh, burdensome follow-up. Um, I don't even think they like going in an MRI scanner if you ask them, right? So, uh, we have to ad adopt to what, what the patients want and deliver an effective therapy. Now, fortunately, 
we have a variety of tools uh, for imaging. I think most urologists are quite comfortable now with, with MRI infusion technology and that same technology where you're targeting tumors for biopsy, you're now going to put some kind of a, uh, an active, you know, rod or uh, treatment fiber in to target and ablate your tumor. But we're also, among other people, trying to develop multi-parametric ultrasound. And this will be, I think, a major breakthrough. Uh, it's going to be convenient. It's going to be portable in the urologist's office. Um, it doesn't involve fusion, so you're not going to have any of the downsides of, of you know, a poor fusion product where you're, you're, you're not accurately fusing those two modalities. You're, you're kind of off target. Um, we're using acoustic radiation force impulse imaging here at, at Duke, and we're ready to commercialize that. That's called ARFI. So basically they come in, we do, we put the ultrasound probe in, in the rectum. We do a scan for 15 minutes, construct a 3D model, looking at tissue stiffness, we can then assign a target. Usually, you know, these, these larger areas can be seen. And then literally within 20 minutes, you're, you're ready for either a biopsy or a targeted therapy. So, you know, there are some people that have done um, cryotherapy, which is traditionally done in an operating room. Uh, they've done that in an outpatient setting, in an office setting. And I tell some of these device manufacturers that they really want to be on their A game and compete with the other modalities. I mean, this is where it's headed. Um, patients want it outpatient. They want it to, to really have minimal downtime. Sounds amazing. Uh, it really does. I, I guess my last, uh, the last thing I'd like you to touch on, if you could, and, and again, you've, you've kind of incorporated this throughout the entire podcast here. What is the future? Right now, it does seem like cryotherapy has the command of, of most people's attention. Is there potential for heat-based? Is there potential for, uh, you mentioned laser-guided, so that is, is heat-based, but the more microwave or, or RFA or something along those lines. And then, I mean, what is the Star Trek and Star Wars kind of hope uh, for this type of therapy other than you drive up, you get zapped and you go home in urologic ease, what would that look like and what kind of things are we really hoping for in the next five to 10 years? Well, Brad, I think the, uh, the future is very bright. So I would, I would start off by saying when we first started this, when Gary Onik pioneered this, we really didn't have any imaging. We just used a transrectal ultrasound and did a hemiablation. Once we had MRI, we could start seeing these tumors. Um, there is gonna be triple fusion coming up where we're starting to fuse MRI with ultrasound and PET and getting more biological information. I think we'll be using genomics and germline perhaps when we look at these individual tumors in the prostate to figure out which ones are the bad actors, which ones need to be treated. I think the devices are pretty much there already. It's what we do with everything else, how we put it together. And as mentioned before, the adjuvants become critical. If we could get agents into these tumors, which would influence the, the cancer cells to, to die, um, that's gonna be a major breakthrough. I mean, clearly the patients want this. I think the physicians would like to deliver this. There's still a little bit of skepticism but the future is very bright. I mean, you, you were here for the story of, of kidney. We started out with nephrectomy and then we did lap nephrectomy before partial because lap was considered less invasive, but then we were taking out whole kidneys for a small tumor. And now we're at the point now where we can really, 
with robotics treat these small tumors. So we're really, I think, in a, a good space right now. And I think uh, the future looks very bright indeed. Well, that's fantastic. Um, your work is, is world-renowned and it's very uh, welcomed and, and appreciated. Um, you've touched a number of lives that would uh, normally uh, have sought different types of treatments or wouldn't be candidates for other treatments. So for that, we applaud your contributions and we thank you. And we look forward to seeing you at the, some meetings, hopefully live this year. And thank you very much for your time, Tom. Thank you. On behalf of Richard Wolf Medical, the Endourological Society and the Journal of Endourology, we would like to thank Dr. Tom Pulasic from Duke University for his time and expertise. And we look forward to the next podcast. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.